Welcome back to Ask Me Anything, where Pastor J.D. Greer answers your questions. We are actually in the middle of a bonus series as J.D. is answering some of life's biggest questions. The series is called 12 Truths and a Lie. So in 1 Corinthians 6 specifically, Paul wants to show them that there are some lofty, incredible things about sex that these Corinthians just don't understand. The problem, he says, is not that you have too high a view of sex. The problem is that you have far too low a view of sex. Specifically, he wants to tell them that there are some spiritual dimensions to sex because God made us, here's your nerdy word for the, for the week, God made us a psychosomatic unity, a unity between our bodies and our spirits. Those are, are indelibly right now unified, inextricably unified. What that means is that our soul, our psycho, and our body, soma, are one. And you can't neatly separate one from the other. Yes, it's true that when our body dies, our soul goes on to be with Jesus, and it is disembodied for a while, but that's that's not the way that our soul was created to be. And so when we're in that state, Scripture says we're uncomfortable. We're longing to be clothed with our resurrected bodies. Our soul is created to be united to a body. And thus, Paul is going to argue, because our bodies and souls are integrated, sex is far from a meaningless physical activity. Sex has an extremely spiritual dimension to it. Check it out, verse 9. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Sexual sin is not the only sin he mentions in that list, but note how many different times he brings it up in that list. In verse 12, Paul starts his reasoning. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Now, I want you to notice the quotes that are around the phrase, everything is permissible. To really make sense of this passage, you have to understand what Paul is doing. He is quoting some of the popular slogans of the day and then rebutting them. It's kind of like if I were to say to you, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That doesn't mean I approve of that statement. I'm just highlighting a rather horrible phrase in our culture, and then I'm going to offer an alternative. You know, it's like me saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but the regrets and the STDs stay with you forever. People sometimes see these phrases and quotes, and they think Paul is affirming what's in the quote. You know, he's saying, hey, everything is permissible. It's actually the opposite. He is contradicting what's in the quote. Everything is permissible for me, the statement goes. But then Paul responds, not everything is beneficial. Some of the Christians in Corinth were saying, hey, we've been freed from the law, and now we can do whatever we want. Paul says, your freedom from the law was to love God and love others. He asks, are casual, open sexual relationships, are they loving and beneficial either for the God who created you or for you or for your neighbor? Paul continues, everything is permissible for me, but Paul counters, I will not be mastered by anything. Being free from the law does not mean just giving myself over to sinful desires, whatever my body desires. I often ask this with college students and young professionals. You're, I say, you're trying to tell me that just because my body desires something, that makes it right? I mean, that's crazy talk. I mean, if my body says, eat a dozen donuts, that doesn't always mean it's the right decision. If my body feels like violently raging at the person who just cut me off in traffic, well, I definitely should not obey that, that impulse. Scripture tells me what is right. My mind and my reason using the scripture tell me what is right, not my bodily urges. That's one of the least reliable things. Then in verse 13, Paul addresses another Corinthian slogan. He says, quote, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. 
Now, some translations actually end the quotation after the word food, but I actually think that's wrong. I think you should extend it all the way to the end where he says, but God will do away both of them because both of those things are what the Corinthians would wrongly say. They would say food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. Again, when you're hungry, you eat, and that's all that's happening with sex. Your body has a desire and you satisfy it. And then a lot of the Corinthians would say, and God will do away with both of them. That's the idea that God, they thought, was mostly unconcerned with the physical body. All he cares about is the spirit. Um, one day they were like, he's going to do away with the physical body and, and, and all that's going to remain is just your spirit. So the place they were like, you should really love God is your heart. And what you do with your body is not really that significant spiritually. Uh, that is something called, here's more nerdiness, platonic dualism. That is the belief that the physical body is basically worthless to God and only the spirit matters. Plato was a huge figure in ancient Greece and the place he philosophized was not far from Corinth. And so his ideas were a major influence in this part of the world. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will do away with both of them and all that will matter is your spirit. Paul says, that's wrong. Here's the thing. God never says that. The Bible never says that God will just one day do away with your body. Scripture always talks about our bodies in terms of resurrection and redemption, not just discarding. So the Corinthian lie about sex had two parts, okay? The first part was sex is just physical. It's like any other biological need. Second part is what you do with your body has no bearing on your soul. See how we got there? Both of these lies, if you watch Netflix or listen to the radio or even just talk with your neighbor, both of those lies are very prevalent today. So yes, the Corinthian lie about sex is alive and well in 21st century English-speaking countries. And so in verse 13, Paul counters, however, the body is not for sexual immorality. The body's for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. God raised up the Lord Jesus and will also raise us up by his power. This is a direct refutation of Platonic dualism. That's what Paul has in mind there. He said, that's wrong. You can't separate the spirit and the body. Verse 15, don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? Should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says, in sex, the two will become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis 2. Verse 17, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Y'all, if nothing more from that verse, notice that Paul is saying there's an extremely spiritual dimension to sex. You cannot have sex with somebody and not become one flesh with them. And if you have Christ in your heart, because your spirit and your body are united, you're actually making Christ one with that person you're having sex with also, because you can't separate body and soul. So Paul's answer to the Corinthian lie, which is still alive and well today, is that sex is not just biology. There's something deeply spiritual about it. Thanks for listening. Get more 12 Truths and a Lie, answers to life's biggest questions from Pastor JD's upcoming book by clicking in the link in the show notes below. We'll answer more of your questions next week here on Ask Me Anything. Ask Me Anything.